one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over This fella Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, it's actually don't say. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. You don't want to throw punches. What you doing down here, you surely man? Two weeks ago, our esteemed presenter, Owen McDevitt, said that it was crazy to instill Man City as odds-on favourites after beating Man United in the Manchester Derby. One week ago, he said, actually, yeah, they are going to win the league by 15 points after they beat Swansea 3-1 away. This week, well... City lose 2-0 to Spurs, the Emperor has no clothes, and Owen McDevitt has run for the hills. Uh, hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Show. It's me, Murph, sitting in for Owen, who's on holidays today. But we have uh, Ken Early and Richie Sadler in studio, which is much better anyway. How are you, lads? Good, Ken, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. How are you, Murph? Ken? Um, yeah, pretty pretty exciting day of football, which I guess you probably didn't see because you were going to the All-Ireland final. Uh, well, no, see, the Iron Fan was played on Saturday again. Mm. So uh, I didn't see much of Saturday, yes, but I did see um, Spurs and uh, and City. And pretty interesting game from... Well, I mean, there are games where, you know, tactically a lot of things need to be explained, yeah. you know, to the casual viewer. This was not one of those games. Yeah. Uh, every time Man City had the ball inside their own penalty area, <laughs> four Spurs players were around them. Uh, and that uh, seemed to pay pretty rich dividends. I thought it was absolutely crazy. It was brilliant. Um, it was. I, it was a really, really good game of football. You know, do you remember when Louis van Gaal was managing Manchester United uh, and he came, the first season that he was there, um, they had that unfortunate 4-0 defeat to MK Dons. Mm. Uh, but that was kind of like, well, it's the League Cup. We weren't really, you know, it's not a trophy we necessarily had that interest in. But they played Leicester and lost 5 3, having been 3 1 up. And it was. Di Maria got that brilliant goal. And yeah, that was 3 1. Yeah, yeah. And then 5 3. And it was just, what, what is happening? And it was Jamie Vardy. It was kind of Jamie Vardy's first really big performance in the, in the Premier League, just ripping them apart with sort of speed. And it was kind of like, well, maybe the whole, maybe my idea of how football needs to be played is not necessarily going to work in this environment where you've got players like Vardy you know crazy shit show of a league (laughs) (laughs) you know like where teams get away with with playing in this manic with this manic sort of sense of aggression or uh, energy or whatever yeah and that's that's what was happening to Manchester City the other day, and so and and within a few minutes, they were they were kind of beginning to buckle, and then Kolarov scored an own goal, and 
you could almost see the players, the Man City players, waking up from this dream of invincibility that they've been in for the last few weeks and realising that they were still just the same Manchester City players. I'm still only Kolarov. I know Pep Guardiola is, is like sitting there 40 yards away, but I am still Kolarov and these things happen to me, you know, uh, knocking, a, knocking an own goal in. Um, I guess we might as well report on some sport. Please. I mean, so I wonder if this is going to be a, a similar type of uh, a moment of uh, to think, uh, to reevaluate for Pep Guardiola. I think unlike Louis van Gaal, he is a guy who has shown a willingness to adapt uh, already, when you know when he was at Bayern Munich, he, Bayern weren't playing the same way when he left as when he arrived. You know, he kind of adapted it for you know, created a local variant of of his football. But this is this is uh, a new situation for him. The most obvious way in which you can, the the most obvious uh, thing he has to think about is what's going to happen with the goalkeeper. Um, once again, Claudio Bravo was being. Um, Barracked by the entire stadium every time he touched the ball. Unfairly, because he was actually playing pretty well. He didn't make any significant mistakes. He saved a penalty. It's more just the. It's more just that he is now a, a target, a lightning rod for all of the English crowds. Fairness doesn't come into it though when you're barracking an opponent, does it? No, it's, it's your job. It's. And I think it's a, it's a job that uh, a lot of fans are going to, you know, they're going to set to their work with gusto over the course of the next couple of months. Because, I mean, he is very good on the ball, but it kind of doesn't matter if, you know, for 90 minutes there's this constant pressure building from directly behind you and all around you every time the ball is passed in your general direction. See, he shouldn't be on the ball so much. Richie, you probably had a, played in a few teams where this was the... Uh, I mean, you, what height are you? What height? Yeah. Like 6'3". Six, 6'3". Three. Six, three. An, an, an imposing, an imposing figure. Uh, Colossal. Good, good Colossal in the air. <laughs> good in the air or surprisingly weak in the air for a, a man of your stature. Surprisingly weak for a long, long, long time. <laughs> when in school by football, you didn't have to learn to jump. I was just taller than everyone. And then yeah. I got to play against men and was like, shit, they can jump. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's gonna, unfair. I'm going to have to learn. I'm 18 here. I'm going to have to learn how to jump. I'm this six is foot, hard. Six foot three inch Robert Perez. Uh, <laughs> but but did, did your comparative lack of uh, aerial dominance stop defenders and teams you played for knocking the ball long towards you when they came under a little bit of pressure. No, they just did it. They just did it because you were six foot three inches tall. They could see you. And this was like, it's the thing, it's the thing that happens with any tall striker. Whenever a team that a tall striker plays for doesn't play well, well, nine times out of ten, uh, somebody, somebody will be saying, well, you know, when you've got that target up front, is the temptation is there to, to you know, hit the ball long, you know, hit the big man, and uh, and that's something which is said to be to act as a kind of a temptation. If I've got that option, I'm going to end up taking that option as an under pressure defender. Manchester City have created the interesting situation where the temptation is behind them. Behind me, I've got one of the world's elite playmakers, Claudio Bravo, right, a man who can control and stun a ball coming at him from any angle, can turn down a sixpence, literally his pulse slows down when he's got, <laughs> when he's got uh, you know, someone like Son. Uh, Charging at him at 30 miles an hour. Like a, like a maniac. He, he, he just can, he, he kind of almost needs that. To it's, it's like in karate, you know, he uses the, the forward's pace and tackling ability against them. 
yeah. to make a fool out of them. It's, it was just, it, it, I mean, it's amazing what he can do. We, we accept that. We've been through this. We, we accept that. Bravo is an amazing player. But it does create a, a kind of a problem for the defenders. I mean, someone like John Stones has got the ability to play the ball forward. You know, he can sidestep a, a challenge. He can find a man in midfield in a good position. Um, Otamendi, maybe not so much, but, you know, in normal circumstances, he'd at least be trying to do that. They're trying to get the ball, keep it away from their goal, and move it towards the other team's goal in the hope of maybe scoring into that goal. But these Manchester City players increasingly seem to be just looking to, to big bravo behind them to solve every problem. You know what I mean? 24 back passes in the game against... Spurs. I mean, Spurs had 10, I think. But 24, it kind of shows you uh, how much pressure they were coming under from the you know, Tottenham players who were just pressing them manically. But also, is that not just a little bit too much? Is, is, are we not leaning a little bit too heavily on our footballing goalkeeper here? John Stones even played him into trouble at one stage um, when he was getting chased down by Son. He got away with it. But I think what happens to uh, uh, Ter Stegen, the Barcelona goalkeeper, yesterday... We were looking at this, at Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. Uh, Barcelona were losing 3-2 at Celta Vigo during the last 10 minutes of the game. Ter Stegen gets the ball, players all around him that he can pass to, tries a clever little chip, chips the ball straight into the face of an on-rushing attacker, and the ball flies into his net. I mean, it is kind of interesting that it's not so much that passing the ball back to your goalkeeper is a risk if your goalkeeper is good at football. But, I mean, if your centre-half is standing on his goal line or in a, in your own six-yard box, it's, it's not really usually all that good an idea to be passing the ball back to him either because mm. you're putting it in a situation where one mistake, you lose possession, and it's a goal. I mean, it's not even a chance. It's an actual goal, as Ter, Ter Stegen showed last night. You just you just made a mistake. You chipped the ball right up against the guy's forehead, yeah. and that's it. The game's over. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, whether it's the goalkeeper or not, I mean, having someone stationed six yards from your own goal and passing the ball back to him all the time is not a very smart thing to do. But he, he's the, the, suppose the reasons for doing it, like if he's, if he's your out ball, if, if your defender is under any kind of pressure from a, a, an attacker that's closing them down or you're, you're running towards your goal trying to defend the long ball that's put over your head, if your goalkeeper is there and available and always willing to receive it, then it just adds an option. So rather than tr- boot it out for a throw-in or over for a corner... You just find your goalkeeper's feet, and, and he boots it out for throw-in or corner. Well, that's that's the other thing. Then it's what does he do with it? That's the that's where the the success and out of the whole thing boils down to. Like, what's he going to do with it? Is he going to do the same thing that you as a defender could have done yourself? If so, he doesn't need just to do be used himself. as much. Yeah. But if he's someone who can get on the ball, see a pass, be a bit more composed on it, and you can rebuild then, and you can start your moves from there. He's effectively an extra outfield player yeah. because you've an extra option of a person to pass to. I but you're right, it's a high-risk game. Because it's in, it's the encouraging them to pass the book. You know, it's, it's encouraging them to say, oh, you solved that problem. Every time that situation comes up, a bit of pressure, the easiest ball is back to the goalkeeper. But, you know, if, you, if you're now playing against teams who are wise to what you're doing, the, the idea of using your goalkeeper as an extra footballer is all very well. But what if the other team decides to press him as though he's another player? And, and that, that's what you saw Celta Vigo do to Barcelona, and that's what Tottenham were doing against against Bravo. If the other team has now adapted its tactics, I mean, Manchester United didn't do it. 
when they played Manchester City. They didn't really make things difficult. I mean, even even though they didn't, there was still that incident with Rooney, you know, where Rooney nearly got a penalty. They, they kind of started cottoning mm. on. If that's going to be the way that every team plays, then maybe this tactic is no longer as useful as it was when they were giving him the time to, to pick out passes. I mean, then it was then everyone can see why it's why it's useful. But if in this league it's going to be a case... I mean, Manchester City just couldn't get into this game at all. Tottenham had, were, were just coming at them too hard. And if that's going to happen, I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. You can't control that game. You, you, Xavi, Iniesta, Messi might might be able to control well, that it's, game. It's, yeah, I mean, it's you beat the... I mean, it's the same in rugby, it's the same in Gaelic football, whatever. You know, the, this idea that if you put pressure on someone... Yes, it's great if you manage to force a turnover, but if you don't, then you're leaving huge spaces in behind mm-hmm. you, and that's that's kind of it. So that's what City have to have to deal with, and that's how they how they get out of that situation. But are they good enough footballers to do it? Mm. That's the question, you know. Yeah. And you know, certainly we can we can say that they're they're still the team probably most likely to win the league, but are they as good as the Bayern Munich teams and Barcelona teams that uh, Pep has had over the last six or seven years? No. Like, you know, without a shadow not. of a doubt, no. And you really saw, I thought it was a terrible game for Otamendi particularly. I think Otamendi's days are numbered after that game because he kept giving the ball away and he kept fouling people. Mm. And these are, these are the things that Guardiola's hammering him continually. Don't do, you know. He, he keeps praising him. We were talking about this after the Man United game. You know, oh, people say Nicholas is a fighter, you know, and he heads the ball away. But, you know, he gave a football lesson today. Guardiola's like, the passing is the thing, you know, that's what it's all about. And against Manchester United, he was very good. Against Tottenham, he was absolutely hopeless. And then just started diving in and chopping people down and should have been sent off. Uh, I think that that's going to be a problem for them. They, I don't think they can use him. I, I, I mean, it's kind of a pity things have gone so badly with Yaya Toure because you don't want to say, well, why don't you play him centre-back? Yeah, He's a guy who could, who could do that. Uh, but obviously there are reasons why... That's not going to happen. But it is Tottenham's best start to a season, um, best start to a season ever, <laughs> literally ever. Premier League or ever? Uh, I I believe ever. Mm. Uh, seventeen uh, seventeen from seven. Uh, Pochettino has beaten Guardiola twice now, which eight managers have done. Who is the manager who has beaten Guardiola more times than anybody else? Hmm. I'll give you a hint. Jose Mourinho was only second on this list, although he has played 17 matches, which is more than anyone else. <sighs> Beaten Pep Guardiola. Hmm. Okay, it's Jurgen Klopp. It's Jurgen Klopp. Oh. Uh, four wins and four defeats uh, is his overall record. So nobody else has beaten Guardiola as many as four times, um, although Pochettino uh, now up to two. So what else was going on? There, there was uh, Manchester United losing ground on... City with a performance which was hailed by Jose Mourinho as one of the greatest performances we've ever seen at this stadium. <laughs> uh, he was in kind of, uh, it was a bit like Martin O'Neill after the Serbia game. Remember Martin O'Neill's interview with Tony O'Donoghue where yeah. Tony started saying, well, Martin, you know, it wasn't really great. And, and he kind of was stabbing his finger at Tony O'Donoghue and sort of looking straight into his eyes, which he didn't usually do, and saying, no, that was a great performance. That was a great performance. That was a, that was a fantastic performance. You know, away with your moan. And, uh, and that was, you know, I, th- I actually ha- happen to agree more with O'Neill than with Mourinho. 
in terms of, yeah, that, that actually, it's a decent result to all the way to Serbia. Mm. One all at home to Stoke. Kind of hard to dress that one up, all right. Pogba missed two absolute sitters, one in the first half, one in the second. Wayne Rooney came on. An interesting moment in the game. I mean, Rooney coming on for, for Mata, you know, with 20, 25 minutes to go. You just wonder what's going through his head at that point. You know, how long do you think this can, he can sustain this? He, he ended up uh, having another accidental assist. He controlled the ball, was tackled by a defender, and the ball, the, the ball flew from the tackle perfectly to Anthony Marshall to bury the ball into the top corner with a first-time finish. And so I suppose Rooney forced the error. Uh, this was after his accidental assist for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And pre- again, he came on as a substitute and set up a goal with an inadvertent ball that bounced into the ground and then looped way up and Zlatan scored. So... How are you feeling after that? I, I'd love to know how he feels about the whole situation because do, does he genuinely think, like, does he feel aggrieved that he's not starting every game? Does, does he think he belongs in the team? Does he, does he have a specific idea of a role that he has and he's adamant that he can do better than anyone else? I, I, I'd love to know if that's what he thinks because I, I wouldn't agree with him if that's the case, but some players just don't see what the rest of us see. Yeah. I'd love to know. Does he does he sit there and go, oh, this, you know, Marino, you know, Marino hasn't got a clue, like mm. I'll prove him wrong. Or does he sit there and go, Marino's right. I, I, I'm the one that needs to book my ideas up. Well here. if he's thinking that then he's having a crisis of confidence. You know, I mean, you can call it realism, and that's what I'd call it, but you know, anyone else in the business of football would call that a crisis of confidence. You know, it's you know, you know what I mean? It's not that's it that that's that's the way they kinda of have to think. Otherwise, Substitutes will always be substitutes and they'll never do anything to... You think the, the player has to think... What? He, well, he has to think that I deserve to be in this team, surely. But surely, have you, at some point you can acknowledge... And like, oh, I did it. And other teammates who, who do it as well. Actually, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been dropped today and mm. I can have no I can beef. <laughs> I remember how I played in the last game. Yeah. I, it, it absolutely stands to reason that the boss would make the decision he just made. And that's not necessarily a crisis of confidence. That's just holding your hands up, say, I, I, I can do better, I have done better, or the fellow who's playing now deserves the opportunity mm. to show that he can do better because I was crap last week. <laughs> and I, yeah. like, that's not necessarily a crisis of confidence. That's just going, you know, I'm taking responsibility here for the relatively low-level shit that I produced last week. I mean, he, just the, the, the... One must feel like that to come on at that stage in the game. Matt, you know, you're... You give Mata the, the old high five and you kind of jog out in the field and everyone is kind of respectfully applauding. Come on, Wayne. You know, we hope you produce something here. It's nil-nil. And what that... The, the decline in, in his status. Like, he's been the king. Mm. He's been the king of Old Trafford for six, seven years since Cristiano Ronaldo left. And now he's the guy who comes on for one Mata when they need to change things. It's like... Difficult, a difficult one to uh, to handle. I don't know how sustainable it is in the in the long term, really. But imagine not being brought on in that situation. Mm. Imagine things needing to be changed, and you see someone else brought you. on instead of you. Yeah, well, it That's could be a worse. Pretty grim feeling. It could still be worse. Um, there were a couple of big wins for Arsenal and for Liverpool. Arsenal got a lucky one with, a, I mean, a blatant handball goal. I mean, there was even a debate over whether it should have been 
allowed. It's blatantly a handball. Yeah. There's no way that ball is It's also into... kind of an offside as well if Chamberlain passes the ball to Koscielny, onto Koscielny's elbow. Yeah. I mean, either way... I thought, the dunk, I thought the dunk was a bigger infraction than the possible offside. <laughs> Although there, there, was, there was maybe two of them there. But yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty tough. Uh, but Liverpool also had a, had a um, come-from-behind win. A really terrible first half against Swansea and then a brilliant second half. Uh, James Milner. Both, both uh, teams showing the stuff of champions, Kent. I heard. <laughs> that's, no, that's what the, you know, yeah. a lucky win or a kind of win when you've played badly. Yeah. They're the two of the hallmarks of champions. Or alternatively, you just played badly, you know, and you've managed to squeak a result. Playing well is also the hallmark of a champion. It yeah. was, it was, uh, it was lucky for Jurgen Klopp that they did manage to get that win because otherwise he would have uh, faced some searching questions about his decision to appear on Monday Night Football and give away all his team's tactics. <laughs> uh, was what? Well, certainly was a, a view that was going around while they, in the period of time when they were losing one nil. Why is Klopp going on TV to boast about his tactics? Um, you know, uh, luckily for him, it worked out. Milner uh, says he's he may be the best manager I've ever had. I've probably had too many managers, said James Milner, but he is definitely one of the best. Uh, so, so there you go. Um, they're going very well. And the next game uh, that they play is at home to Manchester United, which means that things could get quite interesting. I mean, Manchester United have to play Liverpool away and Chelsea away. And are already five points off the pace, and things aren't going that well. So, uh, if they manage to lose or uh, not do too not do too well over those next couple of games, I think we're going to have a very very interesting situation there. Um, what else did we see? Um, you have one more story there, Ken. Roberto Di Matteo was sacked by Aston Villa just like um, you know a few weeks they're after 19th, taking over. They're nineteenth in the championship. Is it time to? Uh, to make that call to Big Sam? Is he ready for a return not, to football? It's not the worst idea I've ever heard, to be honest. Would you hire Big Sam Allardyce, Richie, uh, if you were the chairman of Aston Villa? Is it talk that he could face some further penalty from the FAI, some, or from the FA, some ban of some kind? Possibly, yeah. There, there is, there is not a, in the absence of any of that, they, would they, I? They need to... They need to look at all the transcripts and basically the full set of evidence, not just the stuff that was that was picked out and and uh, put out in the Daily Telegraph. They need to, the FA need to look at all the evidence that was gathered before they decide and, and decide then whether Sam deserves further punishment, in addition to the epic lifelong humiliation that he has suffered. You're asking, would I, if I was in charge of Villa, would I consider him for the job? Mm. I suppose I'll answer by saying the thing that he was caught on camera doing last week isn't something that I I don't know how to phrase this whether I can say that the majority of managers I don't know if that's accurate to say but certainly in football it is very very commonplace for the kinds of conversations that he was caught on camera having to take place yeah they're just widespread they're like I, I don't have many people in football who, who would look at that and say I've learned something new here I've learned that there's, there's, there's this whole process that I didn't know anything about. Like, everyone knows those kind of things happen. Yeah. It was just, it was, he just was common knowledge. Yeah, he was just caught. And like you said, lifelong, he's a figure of fun now, more so than he has been in the past. He yeah. lost his dream job. So those kind of things, right, he's taken a massive hit, but he's in, he is employable. He's not What's so it? damaged that he's now unemployable. Well, 
Well, what's well, I don't understand. I mean, why is he not employed? He's just not employable as the England manager. But he's, he can manage the likes of Aston Villa or some club like that. Yes, because I think, first of all, in, in the real world of football, if you're a CEO who removes managers from your potential list of candidates because you're aware that they've been involved in a bung, your short list it's short. It, it's short. It's the shortest of short lists in football. So you, you need to basically get over yourself and mm. go, right, this is the nature of the business we're in. It, 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 it will benefit my club if I have a manager who has a relationship, however that relationship is brought about, by the agent bunging the manager or the manager bunging the agent. But it's, it's in our best interest that I get a manager who is connected to the prominent agents in the game because I get access to the players that he's got. The players he brings to the table will then win me trophies. So it, it, it's wrong to say that a, that a CEO will, will rule him out because of what he's done. Why the FA, I think, had to let him go because he specifically got involved in the conversation about getting around FA rules. Yeah. And he's in this position of England manager where, whether you agree with it or not, it just seemed to carry this higher level of standards well, I mean, you're slagging off your employer, basically. Yeah, and that's is, you're yeah. kind of then putting the FA at a weaker position because they, at some point, are going to have to deal with kind of this kind of behaviour down the line. When Days two, three, and four of the Daily Telegraph exactly. thing. I mean, how they handle, yeah. you know, the following days if they yeah. if they decide not to. So your authority or your moral authority or whatever as an FA is kind of diminished when you're dealing with subsequent exposures or subsequent issues of bung taking or allegations of that if you kept the manager of your national team knowing that Allardyce was caught in camera in the way he was. What did you make then of the of the Dirty Telegraph's things? I mean, was it, you know, England manager for sale was the headline of the star, Sam Allardyce, a pretty big fish that they uh, kind of come out of it with? I mean, All managers are for sale. Yeah. Every single manager is open to the idea of a public speaking engagement or a commercial endorsement or a consultation fee with any kind of a company that set up a, a management firm, a sports science company, a physio and recovery, strength and conditioning. The money to be made by showing up and endorsing a new product or a new service is enormous. So that that happens. That That's that's just the game. So it, for sale, they're all for sale. Hmm. They're all available for work beyond the specific job that they're employed by the club to do. So do you think that the exposure of, uh, the, the, that really it was worth it? That I kind of got the impression looking at it myself that they probably hoped for a bit more out of this. Although, bringing down the England manager is, is a pretty, is, big, is pretty scalp. big The rest of it was very, you know, Harry Redknapp sort of was, yeah. well, I, I don't know what really was real about him. There was, there was, I mean, it seemed like, uh, was it Tommy Wright? It was almost the, <laughs> the guy who was actually filmed accepting an envelope mm-hmm. full of cash. And, you know, uh, it looks as though his career prospects for the rest of it are dim. But he didn't look as, he didn't look, it, it wasn't as though he was already, you know, in, like Sam Allardyce, the kind of a, a rich guy. He doesn't, yeah. need, like, his, he's basically just out of a job now. Is it worth it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you're looking for a smoking gun, I suppose, and there wasn't really anything of that level. You know, I mean, what brought Sam Allardyce down was, you know, a couple of probably off-colour remarks about his employers, more so than, you know, uh, corruption that we can see and hear on any tapes or anything of that nature. So, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, you you read it and you think, my God, this is going to be huge. And it's like, hmm, 
not quite huge. I mean, I can see why the FA sacked him, but I can also see why Sam is probably feeling a little sore about the whole thing. There's a couple of things. I, I don't think it revealed anything new. In like there was a, there's been stuff going on before, years ago where where people have tried to expose this bone culture, and I, I, first of all, I don't think many people care. I don't think this is a topic which will really mobilise football fans. You won't see demonstrations. You won't see anything. All fans want... If, for example, they knew the difference between signing the player that made the difference between them winning the title and not, required a bung of a million or two to an agent or a third party or whatever. That makes us smart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get in the game. Do what needs to be done. If you're someone who's going to stand on the sideline and say, I'm not going to play ball here, that agent there has asked me for a bung. Or, or, or the, as is very common, there's often a member of staff within a club who has to be paid in order for all transfers. That just it won't happen unless you, you grease this for the spam. And you can buy, you can turn around and say, you know, I'm not going to do that, but you're going to miss out on the players. Yeah. Well, let's let's turn our uh, faces away from this, uh, from all this stink, uh, towards the sweet, sweet smell of success in the form of, uh, of Dundalk and how they're changing Irish football just uh, right after this. Owen McDevitt! All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt? Worldwide. The Murph and Mackey for most welcome Irishman of the year goes to Owen McDevitt. Owen, 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 Owen McDevitt? From Ireland's second captain show. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt? Worldwide. Second captains, those guys, are like, those guys are like family to me, man. This is Locke, the coolest song I ever heard in my whole life. Owen McDevitt. All of you said I wouldn't make Stop it. Stop talking about Tom Finney. He said I was a loser. This guy is a bit of a turkey. <laughs> All right. He said I was a fucking soccer. But look at me now. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. To say, for example, the Barcelona team you worked at, is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. So, Richie, you actually spent the day yesterday out in uh, Inchicore at the Stadium of Light watching some FA Cup semi final action. I did. It was 2 all between Dundalk and Derry, and then 3 1 to Cork against Pats at the match that you were at. Any good? Um, it was decent, yeah. We were covering it for RTE, so we did our coverage from St. Pat's. Um, the first game, Dundalk, was... They made seven... They made eight changes from the team that won on Thursday night in Europe, and we're lucky to go 2-0 up just before half-time, and deservedly then we're pulled back to 2 all. So they have the disaster scenario... Well, was the disaster scenario was if they lost the semi-final, but they have to now squeeze in a replay tomorrow night, which makes their ridiculous fixture congestion situation look even more ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and they are... Well, and they can't really afford to just kind of write off the other games, or can they? I mean, what would you do in Stephen Kenny's position here? Um, you've got these Europa League games, which, as everyone knows, are potentially huge money makers. Each one of them much more significant than winning the league would be. <laughs> uh, would you be tempted to... To you know, play some fourteen-year-olds in the uh, in the sort of surrounding matches just to to give your your top boys a, a little bit of a chance of being at their best. I suppose he came close to doing something similar to that yesterday in 
dropping in resting eight players. Mm. So he's going to have to manage the squad in some way because they were due to play nine games in 29 days. They now, because of the replay, have to play 10 games in 29 days, which is totally absurd. So everyone in that squad is going to get plenty of game time in this month. Um, and, and remarkably, going into yesterday, they didn't have any injuries. They have now one or two as on the back of yesterday. But it's uh, it, the, none of the fixtures are ones that they can write off, basically, to answer your question. Because one's a cup semi-final replay, which hopefully will lead to a cup final. And the league games, because of the way the league table is at the moment, Cork aren't far behind them. So Kenny, Stephen Kenny has said their main target is to get to the Champions League next year. They have to win the league this year to do that. So the league games are a priority. He also wants to get back to the cup final and he also wants to get out of the group stage. So every single match they play from a footballing point of view or ambition point of view, they're all they're all A-listers. So how he manages his squad, is that's, that's going to be the biggest part of the job now. How he manages them, who he picks and the work that they put into their rest and recovery between games, which sometimes will just be like two days at a time. Yeah, as you mentioned, as you mentioned Cork are, are pushing them quite hard. I mean, Cork are three points behind. Uh, or four points behind, rather, with, uh, in the league. But you saw them uh, up close yesterday. They beat past 3-1. There's two goals by Sean McGuire, uh, who is an Ireland under-21 player. What do you make of him? He's class. Like he's 23 goals, I think, now this season in all competitions. One of the things, though, I, I remember watching yesterday, that the performance from Pats was exactly the type of performance you want your opponent to give in a cup semi-final, particularly in the second half. It, it, it was woeful. They just meandered through the second half. They were lumping long balls forward to a striker who was who's no good in the air um, and on his own. No real fight. There was no leaders in midfield. Defensively, they were trying to play football as opposed to actually defend. Even the crowd was a bit flat. It was all... What was the crowd? In terms of attendance? I, I don't know. I didn't see the figure. Um, I don't know what it exactly was. But it was all a bit kind of flat by the end. Yeah. But um, Cork and, and Maguire in particularly just, just stole the show. Yeah, I mean, there was an interesting piece by Dan McDonald today talking about the, you know, uh, just the idea that Dundalk's uh, run uh, in Europe, obviously they, they beat Maccabi Tel Aviv on Thursday night, um, which is, you know, an amazing result for an Irish club. It's huge. Um, talking about the kind of lack of knock-on effect of, of this. I mean, uh, you know, Pats against Cork... Um, they have the chance to take on the great Dundalk and people weren't turning up in huge numbers in Inchicore? They they weren't, no. And, and this is the big thing around the, the discussion around Dundalk and what actually, what difference will this actually make to anything, to, to Dundalk, to their players, to the league in general, to Irish football. And it's hard to answer that now, but one of the things you certainly pick up on, and Dan has written it in his piece, is that there is there isn't unanimous positivity from everyone in the league that a league club is in the Europa League. Which for years, there were all, there's always this kind of, sometimes it feels like a, a, a desperate need for recognition or respect among League of Ireland people. No matter what happens, in, if it's in any way good, they just kind of really say, you know, well, this, you know, and people knock us, but here we are doing great. But here's a club doing better than anyone's ever done. And a lot of people will win this. Well, it's good for them, but it's no good for us. They're getting rich, which means they'll get all the players. So they'll dominate for years. What good is that to us? It's real. It, it's, and I worked in the league for a while, and I understand the position because you're so used to just firefighting and in survival mode. Did you become so weary and so disinterested in trying to get 
any kind of involvement in the bigger picture stuff. How are the other clubs doing? I don't care. We've bills to meet. You, 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 yeah, re- you yeah. really don't. And I remember that I might have said this years ago. The, 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 the most galling example of self-interest, which typified an attitude which is right throughout the league, came when... Do you remember Cristiano Ronaldo signed for Real Madrid? Yeah. What was the figure? Was that a world record at the time? Oh, yeah, it was 80, 90 odd million. I think his his debut was in Tala against Shamrock Rovers. And Sky Sports were due to be there to film the whole thing. And it was due to happen on a Monday. And it was the same time of the year that the qualifying rounds for the European competitions were going to take place. Yeah, it was like pre season for Real Madrid. So it was kind of early August or possibly late July. Yeah. Yeah. This game was meant to be played in Dublin on a Monday. On Wednesday, Bohemians were due to play a Champions League qualifying round game. And on Thursday, us at St. Pat's were due to play in probably what was called the UEFA Cup that time. And the people running Bohemians got on to me to say, will you co-sign this letter of objection that we can send to the FAI to try and block the fixture involving Real Madrid because it may impact the attendance to our Wednesday night qualifying games against some shied from Finland or Iceland or whatever. Yeah. And I kind of sat there and <laughs> I said, what? I, like, I, I got I, the email first and then he followed up with a phone call and I said, in my head, going, am I really hearing this? Yeah. That the debut of the world's most expensive player in probably the biggest branded club in the, in the world is going to happen in Tala at a League of Ireland club. And because he even put a figure on it, it may impact, you know, one to 300 people's decision to show up in Daily Mount on Wednesday because they might have done their dough on the Monday night's ticket. Yeah. That it's it's worthy of, of, of blocking it. Did you sign the letter? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I wished him well with his venture. And then, um, did it, and then did I it? went to the Cham- Royal Madrid game and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was actually pretty exciting, yeah, Ronaldo. But it was just this big like thing. It was, yeah, it was like an event. Like yeah. I know it was a meaningless friendly. There's no points and no one really cares, but it was... It had the feeling of an event, yeah. a footballing event at a League of Ireland ground. And sometimes you can get games which there are actual things at stake. There are points at stake in the League of Ireland and it doesn't feel like an event. Yeah. The league attendances now, the average is down below 1,000 for games in this league. So it just typified, that kind of attitude typified what is very common in the league. In okay, so uh, outline how... It's of benefit to all the other clubs that Dundalk are doing this. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me, but I mean... Well, why don't you outline it then? If it seems obvious to you. well, Where would you go with it? Well, With that answer? The first, the first and most obvious one would be exposure. Yeah. The, the idea that, right, okay, this team aren't running away with the, the League of Ireland. I mean, they're, you know, they're by no means home and hosed in the league, and yet they're capable of performing at this level in Europe. Therefore... The league must be pretty good. Therefore, wins the next game that I can go to. Wins that on. I mean, th- that's the most obvious, and kind of after that, really, the rest of it's ancillary, really, isn't it? But you'd be amazed how many people who support clubs in the league don't see it that way. They spend all their time, and I, th- th- I suppose a flaw with something like this. We're kind of making generalised statements like that. There are a load of League of Ireland fans who would agree exactly with what you said, and they would welcome the su- the, the success of Dundalk, and they see it as a good thing that even though Dundalk are the recipients of all this money, it is money that's coming into the league and there might be a knock-on effect that we could sell our players to them at higher rates. Dundalk may spend money on improving the facilities in their ground, which is great. We've all been calling for an increased standards and facilities for ages and all of that kind of stuff. But there are a lot of people who'll just say, well, they're getting all the money, they're getting all the credit, 
they're getting all the attention. How does that how does that change our life in one way? Well, this year they're getting all the money. But next year it could be you. Like what where's the where's the kind of American dream mentality from the League of Ireland clubs? You know, it doesn't have to be done. It's not automatically going to be Dundalk or I suppose they're thinking, well, Dundalk will make so much money that uh, their dominance will be entrenched and nobody will be able to challenge them. There'll be this bastion of invincibility. To which I would say, wake up. Like Dundalk, how much money are Dundalk actually making here? You know, I mean, they're, they're up over, they're, they're around 7 million euros so far. That's a huge amount of money. But... I think you'd be surprised how quickly it could disappear. I, I, I think, let's watch how, how quickly Dundalk managed to make 7 million euros disappear over the next little while because there are a lot of, there's a lot of different places for that 7 million euros to go. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a colossal, it's not like Roman Abramovich has bought Dundalk and is going to just fuel this unstoppable rise. It's like, it's a, it's a massive windfall. It's fantastic. But, there are so many things that need to be done that it's it's kind of a, a drop in the ocean. It's if you if you take the view that the, the the money that they have, that the main impact of that money is that their playing squad is going to be phenomenally strong for the coming years because they're going to do because they're all. going to sign Luka Modric exactly. There are certain players that no matter how much money they have are not going to come to this league at all. But also, whatever the pot is, if you if you look at it on a percentage basis. Somewhere between 30 and 40% of that money would be gone on staff and players' bonuses. Hmm. Another few percent, I don't know how much, will, will go on travel expenses and all of the things and all of the, the, the structural changes and the things that they need to spend money on to make Tala Stadium meet the requirements to, to host a game in the Europa League. So in addition, if you've ever gone near Oriel Park in the last few years, you look at the pitch and say, well, there's, 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 there's your starting point there. Mm. A huge amount of money has to be spent to dig that up and replace it straight away. The problem there is there's a complication in the, the agreement. There's a dispute with the previous owner. So until that's resolved, and I don't know how much it's going to cost them to resolve that dispute, then they have to spend money on the facility. So while, again... you. Every single club would benefit massively from improving their facilities if Dundalk do that in a serious way. A good lot of that money will go as well. So mm. this isn't like a, this isn't an amount of money where you can send the back of this one year. That's it. Like feed up, lads. We're we're, we're dominating for twenty years. That's mm. not the case at all. No, I mean the, the money would be gone. You, you could you could sit down and in the morning you could have every every cent of it accounted for. You know what I mean? And and the question of what to do with it is an interesting one. Because, I mean, I wonder if you if you were, you know, the CEO of Dundalk, what would you think is an equitable kind of split in terms of long-term investment and rewarding the players and staff who have actually earned this money? When at, at Pats, in the build-up to the European rounds, the team captain would always come in. And I'll ask them to come in and say, come in, like we, you know, it's this time of year again, we're in Europe and we've to negotiate the bonuses. And they would come in, they'd go big. <laughs> they'd go big initially, right? No, no. And, and their logic was, like their thinking was, was completely sound. Like when we offer wages, when you give out contracts in the league, they're by, by any standards, they're pitifully low. And you justify that by saying, lads, look around you. Look how many people watch the matches. Look at the viewing figures on TV. Look at our facilities. We don't have money. We can't give you what we don't have. But they know the money involved in European competition because it's written in the newspapers every week and usually inflated figures. You always get some 
journalist who write, you know, if this European run so far has been worth, you know, four or five hundred grand, where in truth it's like a third of that. But that's the figure that the players will come in with. So you have to ex- understand that while it's the club's payday, it's also the players' payday. And yeah. it's not going to be achieved without the players. They're the set, look, we, you know, a club can pat itself on the back saying, you know, we, we hired the backroom staff or we, you know, we, we invested in preparing them the right way. But ultimately, the players and the manager do it. So, I don't know. It depends on the negotiating strength of the manager when you employ him as to what he, like, but it's, it's, it's not unthinkable to, to imagine 10, 20%. Of of the money would go amongst the staff, the players. Same I'm, again. I'm amazed it's even that low. To be honest, I mean, I I feel with with these Dundalk players, some of them I'm sure are going to go on to, you know, have many more seasons and more lucrative seasons in football. Not all of them. For some of them, this will be the biggest thing they ever do, and the the only time that the club that they're going to play for will actually rake in a decent amount of cash. And it seems as though they. It seems to me as though they should walk away from this with something, you know, because they've done, they've done exceptionally well. Against that, then you've got the the long term needs of the club, which all, which all, I mean, who can who can oppose grassroots investment? Are we saying that we should all get, give all this money just to the players and walk away, and it's as though nothing ever happened? I mean, that would also be wrong as well. But where you find the balance, I don't know. Like Shamrock Rovers had an investment injection of cash about a little over a million from an investor earlier this season, and they've ring fenced that for their academy structure. Oriel Park, when Dundalk this money, they absolutely have to spend a big, big chunk of it sorting out the pitch situation. Then there's the I don't know what their situation is with the training ground. It would absolutely be a sensible thing if they don't own one to buy one. To like to improve the club infrastructure. So you do the very thing that the clubs a few years ago when I was involved didn't do. We all had an injection of cash and all we did was we paid players more than they used to. The standard didn't increase, it's just the players got more wealthy. And then two or three years later when every club ran into difficulty, they had all this debt, they were looking around going, well, listen, nothing's changed. There's no last, there's no legacy. We, we don't have a fancy new clubhouse we can look at. There's no big new stands. We don't own a training ground. so The players all bought houses and are now in negative equity. The players, exactly. <laughs> the players are driving up in X5s to training. They were loving life. It's like John Steinbeck's The Pearl. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, is, this money is the worst thing that ever happened to this, this club. Well, it sounds like they're not scratching around for uh, ways to spend this money anyway. Like, as Ken says, forget about the morning. In like 10 minutes, we've spent 10 million quid there. Exactly. You know, like if you're talking about re- rebuilding the ground, uh, uh, renovating the pitch entirely, and buying or and buying and then renovating a, tra- a training ground, and the, your youth structure as well. Yeah. I, like I feel that they would need to do this every year for like the next decade for it to make a permanent difference. You know, to 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 the balance of power. In the league, and anyway, the balance of power in the league, Ireland. this this raises another interesting question because the last over the last you know fifteen years or so, the league of Ireland has kind of been a league where you don't know who's going to win. Uh, a lot of different clubs have won the title. Uh, any club could blow up at any moment. Is that better than having a kind of a, a dominant club? I mean, it's say say hypothetically in the future, Dundalk get into Europe a few more times, make a lot of money build a gleaming stadium in mm. uh, in Dundalk and have a youth academy and become the top club the Rosenberg the Rosenberg mm. of, of Irish football would would the the old structure of anyone it can it could happen to anyone and and literally the snakes and ladders type 
league be better than one in which a serious club was actually dominating? And the interesting thing here is, as well, I suppose, is that it's not like it's not like you're losing, you know, the casual supporter because the team keeps winning. You know, like to to play devil's advocate, if Dundalk win the league nine times in a row, then you know it's not like crowds can get a whole lot worse. You know, it's not you know it's not like the interest in the league can get a lot worse than what it is now. But you have one team playing at a consistently high level with really top class facilities, and there's an Irish team playing in the Europa League or maybe even the Champions League one year out of one or two years out of ten. You know, you know. <laughs> it's brilliant to think actually even that that scenario would be would be scoffed at or seen as a negative that a financially stable possibly even wealthy club properly structured with really sound foundations some youth structure all the way up really good manager extensive backroom staff they own their own training ground and they do things you know in quotes the right way and they win trophies regularly because there's a direct link between how you set up things mm. and the amount of work you put in and your, your, your results that people would look at that and go I prefer it this way where it's a toss of a coin to see will the league winners kind of go bust in the next two years that's been the experience over the last five or six years or going back a decade but you'll always get people and this isn't just a League of Ireland thing but it does seem to be quite common that there seems to be a, a speed at which they jump to the point where they absolve themselves of any responsibility to make bring about change or to achieve things Um. It's, it, it kind of, it's the FAI's fault all the time. It's the media's fault. It's this podcast's fault. Why don't we talk about this every week? And then when oh, we do, Jesus. and then when we do, it's like, oh, well, come bandwagoners, you'll do it now. And, or, or, or they'll have a go at, I, I, like, I could get fierce for Auntie about this. I have to box clever with how I phrase all this. <laughs> but no, I, please, Richie. I, I've, we, we, when I was at Pats, there, there was two or three of us at the time, myself and a couple of us from other clubs said, you know, it's in our best here to, interest here to get all the clubs around the table as often as possible just to share information and just to improve things a little bit. Spiking at each other in the press, all that kind of stuff doesn't do anyone any good. So little things like preparing for Europe, you can share information and, and, and all of that. And because there was a tendency at the time for the FAI to divide and conquer. If there was any issue if they would just kind of divide all the clubs and, and pick us all off because we're all so weak when we're on our own. So we tried to get this thing of getting everyone around the table, some kind of unity. And the bitching and moaning about the most trivial things. Like we'd spend 20 minutes listening to someone moan about some newspaper didn't give coverage of their game, you know, the prominent position they felt it. You know, why are, why are Barcelona, like a Spanish club in the bloody Champions League, why are they in the back page? When, you know, we're an Irish club and and they would go on for 10 minutes and you're looking at these people going, are you insane? Mm. Why why do you need that explained to you? And they're like, oh, why is RTE News? Why are they leading with the fixture list on a Friday night? Why do we care about what Steven Gerrard or someone? And you're going, why do you... like?" And, and so you'd spend ages going, it's the media's fault, it's the FAI's fault. And then there was one great meeting actually I was at when one club was moaning about the coverage that their matches aren't getting. RTE, it's the Star, the Herald, the Irish Times, whoever. It's everyone's fault. And you looked on their website and their website hadn't advertised the fact that they had a game the following night. Their website still was talking about their upcoming game was the one a fortnight earlier. Yeah. And you're just going... You, you're, you're in two minds, you're just going, you know, do, do we bring this person and this club along and, and, and we'll improve the whole thing or just go, get the hell out of the room. You're, you're dragging us all back here. Yeah. Why, yeah. Are we, why are we... Why do you need to be told 
that putting stuff on your website is the way to go or that at some point you've to do the thing. There was another one as well. There was a, one of these games where I think everyone released from a club. Do you know one of these trial games or... So if you'd they're any, all, they're all guys who've been released from elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. If you had any interest in, in 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 signing clubs, you would have your scout or your manager at this game. And this the 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 existence of this game was mentioned at one meeting, and the game had happened the month earlier. And one very prominent Premier League club, the person who was running it at the time, stood up and said, "This is appalling. This is disgusting. I can't believe the FAI didn't tell us about this game. Why isn't that the case?" And we're looking at this person going like, like a. Like you need to be spoon fed everything, and I, and I kind of said, "What well, was your scout not aware of it?" So, well, we don't have a scout. I said, okay, well, that's the level you're at. Again, like sit down and stop holding this whole meeting back. Mm. You f- like it's it was it was just infuriating that that the level of of contentious issues was 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 so so localized and so small fry that. Mm. Getting to things like you know, let's discuss how a European qualification by one club, how you know, rising tide will, will, will whatever, will, will, will benefit us all. Yeah. They're also caught up in what's best for us. Yeah. Call off the Real Madrid game because a hundred less people will come and watch us. Well, yeah, I mean that's although uh, you know maybe uh, maybe there's a point to that as well. I mean, this TV thing came up recently, didn't it? I mean, we, there, there was a question about. Uh, I mean, it, it, even just. This is in the last year or two. There was there was kind of irritation with RTE moving games to have them on TV, and then that would mean fewer people would go to the game and so on. But that could well be a legitimate complaint. You know, the, I mean, the, this it's an argument that that English football was having in the sixties and seventies. Oh, obviously, if you put this on television, no one will come. Nobody realizing that, in fact, what was going to happen was two things, three things. One, everybody who was going would still go. Two. Uh, loads more people would get to see it and become interested in it, and the whole, the whole thing would become bigger. And three, eventually, the TV would start paying far more, would 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 start being ultimately worth more money than was happening mm-hmm. in the ground. It's difficult though to make that case. That's going to happen with the League of Ireland. You know what I mean? So, so while it is, while while it is kind of easy to sort of, you know, to 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 mock kind of people who are complaining about the attendance being affected, it could be the case that that is actually that's the legitimate sort of grievance it is in, like, in the Irish context it is a lot of, a lot of sports and you can think a load of others they've really really developed on the back of media exposure and TV deals and the coverage they get the, the, the league at the moment it, it's still I suppose it's still too weak as a I hate using this as a product yeah. um, sometimes putting it on TV would not necessarily change the viewer's mind in relation to going to it. Like some of the facilities, some of the camera angles, some of the quality of the pitch and the play and everything else like that. It doesn't look like a, a game that you want to immediately get off your couch and go to the next time. In relation to the financial um, cost of it on clubs, again, going back a few years, we were in meetings where the same thing was said. Obviously, the bigger clubs, the more successful ones, are the ones who are going to be on telly more often. And we're saying, listen, we're getting a financial hit here. Because of the structure of the TV deal, there wasn't a direct compensation at the time. Yeah. You weren't being paid for being on TV. So you were just on TV and you were earning less money because less people showed up. So yeah. it was yeah, this weird, wrong, yeah. yeah, it was this kind of weird thing where people go like, actually, can you get us off the TV? It's costing us money. Yeah. And you try to counter that by saying, well, when you sit around the table next year to try and negotiate sponsorship deals, you can 
point to the fact that you've been on national TV X amount of times, the viewing figures are this, and no matter how poor the viewing figures of TV are, they'll, they'll, they'll dwarf the actual They're multiples. The they're yeah. multiples of the amount of actual people who will show up. So yeah. you might think, oh, well, you can make your money way, that way. But again, that kind of thinking is way too... It's not immediate. We want to see actual revenue now, and that will happen by keeping the TV money away. Just the other thing that, that comes to mind is uh, I have seen, as Dundalk have been on this run, uh, you do see from time to time people tweeting, well, I wonder what Richie Towles up there about now. And <laughs> I'm always struggling to, hang on, are they saying, you know, screw you, Richie Towle, bet you wish you hadn't followed the gold trail mm. to Brighton? I don't know. I mean, I suppose it would be nice to have been part of this thing. I guess if he if he had the option to make his choice all over again, he would probably do exactly what he's done. Although it hasn't gone that well for him. Like he's, I think it's one league game, and they're talking now about him going out on loan. Uh, Chris Hutton's just saying that that he's got to go out on loan. So it doesn't really seem to have. I, I mean, I'm I'm just remembering the kind of a bullient confidence of this guy. Uh, an outstanding season last year, like 29 goals from midfield. And then to go over and really kind of disappear into Brighton, it's like where, you know, no impact at all. It's uh, it's a bit disappointing. I think one thing that shows is, and it's relevant now around the Daryl Horgan discussion, is that excelling, which is what Richie did last year and Daryl Horgan is doing this year, excelling at this level, being the standout player and head and shoulders above everyone, doesn't automatically mean anything else. It just means that when it comes to playing Bray and Cork and Drada and Derry, you're going to look class. Now, Daryl's done it on a European stage, so you can add that to the argument. But the assumption then that Daryl belongs in the Irish squad it is a bit of a leap then. But in, in relation to Richie, he... I, I met up with him recently. I, I was over in Brighton at my sister's wedding, so I met up with him for a coffee one afternoon, and he is loving it. He's doing great. He outlined, well, I think a lot of people missed the, the point when, when they, actually, what did you just say? He's over there and got swallowed up by Brighton or he's lost in Brighton or whatever. Mm. Like, he, he, he's training every day at a football club, which by comparison to the structures and everything that was at the club he was at or at the league he was at, it, there's just... They're not in the same conversation. Like he, he, he was injured at the time. He was flying in pre-season, did all the fitness and strength tests, virtually won them all. Like He was the you know, standout athlete in the Brighton squad. He was going to start the first pre-season game in the middle of midfield. Things couldn't have gone better, but he hurt his knee. And he was actually carrying this knee injury for a while. So that interrupted his progress. But in terms of the general... Day-to-day stuff, like living in England, being at a club the size of Brighton with mm. the medical staff and the backroom staff and all. Like he, he outlined all the things that they have to do before training, like all these agility tests or activation tests. They have to give a urine sample every morning to measure hydration levels. They have to log their sleeping hours. They're all on a fairly strict diet, which is monitored. And you talk about the League of Ireland, most clubs don't even have an ice machine. And 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 the, the the physio staff would be one person. Who, who sorry, when you say an ice machine, do you know like a, like a machine a that produces ice buckets, uh, ice cubes? Oh, okay, right. Just you heard your knee for putting on I your swollen you, knee. I, I thought you meant a cryotherapy chamber, I and I was like, wondering. well, you know, I mean, no, 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 no I'm saying okay. an actual machine ice just for, that for putting on injuries. Ice. So when you when you want an ice pack, yeah. like we're talking, 
in, in the like in the book of what should be there for football this is the first line paragraph, of the first paragraph yeah. in relation <laughs> to injury prevention and injury recovery from injury so they're, they're, they're worlds apart yeah it's, 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 it's weird even like say where would Dundalk be as a club you know like sort of where, the, where they stand in the club you know I mean it's, it's so much more than just how good their football is I mean it, it, it gets to, to that level where you're just like right okay it's, it's you can't even measure it maybe in money maybe you're measuring it in like like lengths of time since that was a thing in English football you know yeah. how long ago that was yeah. to where Dundalk are now yeah it's like and, and everyone says it and, and it comes a lot up with Dundalk's performance now you say well Dundalk are in the Europa League and you know, you know Brighton aren't so Dundalk are you know further down or further club, up the food chain yeah. well, say, well hang on they're not mm. Brighton's route into Europe is a damn sight harder than Dundalk's route look at the competition they're up against also, they don't need to be in Europe to operate at a higher commercial level anyway. Exactly. I mean, the stadium is three times the size of the one in Tala, which I guess is the best one in the league run, and it's not a huge ground by mm. championship standards. And know. I don't know what, what Brighton's turnover is in the year, but I would throw a guess that it's, it's higher than the figures being thrown at Dundalk this year. Yeah. yeah so, but, and all the but measurements... But of course, Brighton is such a... Beautiful city. That, That's the uh, biggest thing. Imagine living in Brighton. It's a beautiful city. You probably have to, if, if you're looking to buy a house, you probably have to go 50, 60 miles away, radius-wise, just in terms of those, the crazy prices from uh, ultra, super gentrified Brighton. That's the other thing. What do you want to live in, Brighton or Dundalk? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, it, it all depends on what you're looking for in life, I suppose. But those are the, the questions that are keeping Richie Tell awake these days, rather than, should I have moved here? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, it sounds as though he's probably happy enough where he is. He's doing fine. Once he gets back, like he, he, he's, he, he was, his plan was to go out and loan as soon as he could anyway. So that'll happen. Okay, that's uh, pretty much it. Ken, thanks a million. Richie, thanks a million. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Richie. Thanks, um, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Owen will be back uh, in situ on Thursday. We've got another show out uh, a little later on. Ireland game as well, coming up as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, on the show, on the other show today, Ryder Cup and uh, All Ireland fi- Football Final Review with Oshie McConville and uh, Mike Quirk. So have a listen to that. Thanks, million. See you guys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 